the manager at Whole Foods that said that actually read my email and took a meeting with me. He was like, I get thousands of emails. To be honest, I don't even know why I why I'm meeting with you, but your enthusiasm was just second to none. So come on in. Welcome to Personal Finance Cat, where I share my personal take on personal finance. Hi. How are you? I am good, thank you. How are you? Good. Thank you for coming on the show. I'm uh, excited to talk to you about probably stuff that we never talked about when we were actually in person and hanging out. So, um, yeah. So can you just talk about what's the latest? Oh, the latest. So Cafe Unimatic, my coffee company, celebrated its 10-year anniversary last year, which was wow. a wild milestone. Just it. it it a doesn't feel like it's been that long but at the same time it does kind of feel like it's been around forever and it's just like an extension of me um so that was that was awesome um we are doing some uh documentary film screenings in italy this summer which in my dad's town so there's the backstory there's a um a documentary on netflix called coffee for all that our coffee companies in um and they they follow us throughout new york and throughout italy and and we're getting to do some screenings in my dad's town and all around Southern Italy. So that's just, it just feels like it has really taken me back to who I am, my roots, my purpose, my why. So that, that's been amazing. Um, and as for Brave, I mean, Brave Conversations, technically Brave Conversations Over Coffee is the name of the program. Um, but we were essentially a consulting company. I'm essentially an advisor to leaders at fast-growing mission-driven companies and we help them and their teams communicate better via a framework that's based in neuroscience called brave so it's that has been expanding by leaps and bounds and we've been helping so many we just helped a company um roll out pay transparency which as you can imagine when we're thinking about we're helping people we're helping leaders have difficult conversations when you think about the pay transparency world those are a lot of difficult conversations um, and they said that they genuinely couldn't have done it without brave so it just it feels it feels good to be making an impact on both sides um personally professionally in people's day-to-day -day lives people take brave home so I, i'm sure you're going to ask me a bunch of questions so I, i'm going to stop talking but i'm sure there's a lot more to to jump into from there yeah that's great um so maybe let's start with uh coffee unimac because i think that's how I knew you as an entrepreneur, right? So I think you probably kind of alluded to it a little bit, but can you just talk a bit more about your inspiration, which is your father and the coffee pot that you found? Totally. Um, yeah, I mean, my dad and I started businesses since I was a kid. That was kind of our pastime. It was the way that we spent time together. Um, I had business cards at six and my first product on shelves at 13. Like, like I said, it, we didn't, do we played soccer together now and then but what we did together how we bonded was starting things and talking about how to scale who who, who we're talking to how we're positioning things um, and that was just that was all of my childhood and i we started a bunch of things over the course of life and I, whether i took them for granted or took him for granted or just or i was just emotionally immature and young i i don't know what it was but i none of them ever lit a fire in me they always felt like oh that's more his idea and it wasn't until i went to college got an mba was working in finance and just really unfulfilled and then lost him pretty suddenly that 
I, I distinctly remember giving his eulogy and talking about the person he was and realizing, oh my gosh, I'm not, it was a wake up call of I'm not moving toward anything about who I want to be. And, and it really was just a, a really deep smack in the face and a wake up call in terms of what do you want to do? And then I started really focusing on what is that? I need to start something on my own. That's what we did. That's what I've always wanted to do. And I didn't know what it was. And I was going to start a co-working space in Brooklyn back in 2010-11. And I was working with NYC EDC to figure out, or New York State Economic Development Corporation to figure out what this space would be. And then realized, you know, I, I'm creating some fun problems for myself to solve. But what I really needed to do was make sure my mom could sleep at night, make sure her mortgage was paid because I became the husband and father in the family overnight and and really started thinking about, okay, what what can I do? And and as I was cleaning out my dad's old office in, in Brooklyn in Bay Ridge, I which was where we were going to have this co-working space, and I realized I just need to rent this out and make sure that she's okay. I opened this door that he called the inventory closet. And something you have to understand about my dad, he did, I'll just say everything. <laughs> he came from Italy and started a bunch of different things. And there was a cookware company, an athletic club, a restaurant, a cosmetic company, and you know, varying sizes, varying degrees of success or epic failure, right? And he had, he, he had stationary for everything. So <laughs> poor man killed so many trees. Um, but that was the thing you did in like the fifties and sixties, you got stationary because that made you official. And so I opened this, this door that he called the inventory closet. And I joked with my mom, we're going to, it's going to be a room full of paper because we would find new things and he created all the time because of the stationary. And we opened this door and it was, I was met with just a wall of boxes, this, this, this coffee pot that he had essentially helped create. And it was a reinvention of the percolator that was popular at the time because he had um, a cookware company. They kind of did everything for the kitchen. So this being an Italian, he had to do coffee, right? He couldn't abandon coffee being an Italian. So he said, you know, American coffee kind of tastes like dishwater. It's awful. Let me, <laughs> let me reinvent the percolator, which was what was popular then. And so we did, and he called it the Unimatic, and he took the way that his mom's stove in turn of the century, Southern Italy worked, um, and the percolator, and he put them together, and he essentially reinvented the way a way to make coffee, and it made really amazing coffee. It was my fifth grade science project. I don't know, I won state or something. I don't buy, I had one that was cut in half. I could tell you how it worked. Um, I remember when girl, girlfriends in grade school would come to our house and like come over for a play date, we would eat dinner. We'd just want to have dessert. We just want our ice cream. And my dad would always tell the story of how the Unimatic worked. I'd be like, come on, these are the cool girls. Stop making me look bad. Or like he'd go on. I was like, we just want our ice cream. Stop talking. But long story short, I knew, I knew what it was. I knew how it worked. I knew how he talked about it and how much he, how proud he was of the thing. Anyway, open this door to this closet was met with a wall of boxes of this coffee pot. And I said, okay, this is interesting, great. Like wedding presents for a year. It was around the time when I think you guys got married pretty soon after that. 
everyone in my life. So it seemed like they were all getting married. And I was like, great, this is fantastic. Really heartfelt wedding presents. Great, throw them in the car. Let's go home. Well, we were moving boxes for hours. And anyone who knows anything about Brooklyn, the, the buildings are they touch. So you can't really tell how far something goes back really at first glance. And so this closet was at the end of the building. Well, this door did not open up to just a closet. This door was the door to a warehouse. Like the building went back in a way that we never knew. And I was essentially, I essentially found about 5,000 of these original coffee pots that were made in Italy, designed in Brooklyn, made in Italy. And he shipped them here and he was selling them all over. And he was one of those, he was one of those business owners that liked doing everything himself, whether it was because he didn't feel like he could trust anybody or because he just really liked doing the dirty work and getting his hands dirty. He kind of put that on hold when he started something else and said, I'll be right back. You stay here. I'll be right back. And then I guess just never came back to them. Um, and yeah, so in that moment, I, I, I mean, the honest, the honest story is I feel like I saw my life flash before my eyes. Like I saw my whole childhood flash before my eyes and I saw that coffee pot in the middle of our table and all of the conversations that we had with that thing in the middle of the table. And it was almost like if you could hit rewind and play on that coffee pot, she was sitting there for all of our stories. She heard, I say she, I just call her she now. She heard them. It was the one thing that was just present for some of our most important and meaningful and formative conversations. And I saw that and thought, well, I don't know if I can make more. I don't know anything about the coffee business, but if I can give those moments to even just 5,000 other families, I'm in. I don't know if that's my forever business, but that's, that is what I'm throwing all of myself into. And so started a business without a plan. I essentially had a story before I even knew what a, what the model was and what was I going to do with this thing? How was I going to share it with the world? Um, I ended up making a line of coffee that goes along with the coffee pot because technically you were supposed to roast coffee for the way that you brew it. And so we're used to, we're used to um, grinding coffee for the way that you brew it. But because typically people that sell coffee sell coffee and people that sell coffee pots sell coffee pots, it's not usually, you don't usually do both together. And technically you're supposed to roast coffee for the chemical process that happens to it, depending on how you brew and how you brew is a different chemical reaction, depending on what it is. Is it pour over? Is it French press, air press? you know, drip, espresso, there were so many different ways to make coffee. So we decided, well, we're the only ones that can really do this. We we want you to care about the kind of coffee you're putting in this coffee pot. So we roasted it specifically for it. And the rest is history at this point. Yeah. Now I love your coffee products and I especially love the handwritten notes you would attach to it every time. And mm-hmm. like the little nice, um, what is it? coffee watermark on it too that was Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, and the coffee tastes great and just to plug there (laughs) yeah that's that's wonderful i think i heard probably the short version of that story but yeah this this really was wonderful can you share with us the challenges that you face and how you can overcome them through this whole time 
I, I mean, how long do you have? <laughs> um, yeah, of course. I mean, I think something that people don't talk about, we throw the word entrepreneur around a ton and the thing that I think sometimes people won't tell you is that sometimes it's a really lonely process. It's a really lonely journey or it can be. And I mean, at, you're constantly learning. I, I've always joked that it's a spiritual journey because you're met with yourself and all of your demons and all of the things that you're great at and terrible at. And you just, you just have to trust your gut and keep going and, really, I would say really early, stay true to your values. I mean, challenges. I mean, it took us two years and four different designers to get packaging right. Oh, wow. Because I, I knew I wanted it to be really specific and I just had a vision for it. And I kept, I would hire these really wonderful people and it would just not be close to the point where I would say, please let me pay for your time. Let's just stop because it feels like we're getting further away, not closer. And, you know, then you do the turn the mirror on yourself. And it's like, well, I am, I'm the common thread in all of these relationships. Maybe it's me. Um, and, you know, finally we did find one and I'm obsessed with our packaging now. Um, I mean, everything from also, I mean, for me, I think it was also that this, this particular business was also part of my grief process. I mean, it, it became this, this business exists because essentially because I lost my dad. And even in the very beginning, I would say, I'm finding new homes for these coffee pots. And yet there was a while where, to be honest, I didn't want to get rid of any of them. I wasn't actually taking the steps to find them new homes. I didn't want to part with them because in the back of my mind, they were the last pieces of my dad that I had left. And so for me, this was like a complete unfurling of what is happening? What is going on? What do you really want this to be? Um, and really, how are you healing? Like, how are you putting yourself back together? And I think maybe one of the hardest things was I knew that coffee was the start. I didn't know if coffee was the thing I was going to do forever, if I was going to, you know, reinvent them or do, I, I didn't know. But what I did find myself continuously called to was what my actual schooling and training is in, which is leadership and people. And I found myself using coffee as the conduit for conversation. And whether it was conversation with young women around confidence, whether it was conversation about let's talk about the depth of your soul and let's create the space where you can actually feel comfortable enough, usually over coffee, right? We have the real, raw, authentic conversations over coffee. And I found myself constantly torn between between Cafe Unimatic and at first it was called Legacy Out Loud. And it was an education company that was built around the, the neuroscience of confidence and we're helping young women become entrepreneurs. And we took them through this process of figuring out who they want to be, what they want to give and what they want to leave behind. And, you know, and it was a curriculum and, and I loved it. And, but it always came back to asking these deep and meaningful questions and creating the space for them to actually answer from what was really true for them, not what they thought people wanted to hear. And I always had mentors that were saying, you got to pick one. You can't do two things well, which was absolutely right. But I think the biggest challenge was finding a mentor who really saw me and, and the mentor relationship 
wasn't about them at all. It was completely like, look, I know you and I know how you operate. I can see how your brain works. People are going to tell you to choose. I know that you're not going to. So my challenge to you is find an architecture by which you can do both of these things. And he, he's an author, he's a marketer. So he's, I mean, he was always good at marketing and he, he, his sensibility always reminded me of my dad. Um, so it almost felt like, I don't know, this otherworldly connection of, I, I know I need to do both, how? And that was one of my biggest challenges, figuring out, essentially figuring out what Brave was, because I always felt like I was doing two separate things. And, and when he gave me that challenge of figure out an architecture by which you can do both, you can incorporate coffee, but you can also use your gifts and your skills and, you know, and listen to the podcasts on crazy teeny little theories of, you know, psychology and neuroscience. And I mean, that's, that's the stuff that I was fascinated by. And, and that's how Brave started because he, essentially reminded me that I could figure that out and that it didn't exist yet. But if I would do what I preached and follow my values, I could put two things together that didn't go together prior. So yeah, I think figuring out found, found purpose. And then at first the purpose was keeping my dad's legacy alive. And then the next step was what is mine? Like, how do I start living my legacy out loud? And figuring out what that looks like for me. So it's finding purpose and then finding my purpose, I think was the hardest, yeah, the hardest part. Well, there are so many things to unpack there. So <laughs> maybe let's start with a mentor because um, I think one of the things that I'm always curious about is kind of the mentorship um, and the yeah. value of it. And um, how do you find your mentor, right? Because mm -hmm. I think you mentioned that it's it's really difficult to find someone that really seat you. So can you talk about that? Like, you know, maybe how you found him and what value he brought to you and so forth? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I had, so his name was Seth Godin. This is a weird story. I had been, I had been reading his blog for a decade and went to one of his conferences and met him. Like, you know, he was on stage and after a while he was talking to people and I went up to him and gave him my little business card that had coffee beans in it and introduced myself and told him the two things that I was passionate about. And yeah, I, I mean, that was the beginning. And then a year later, I went to another conference that he was speaking at, or maybe this one was his conference. And it was, yes, it was his conference. And he did a very interesting thing in that he made everyone write a bio and he published everyone that went, he published everyone's bio in a bio book. And when I went up to him at you know, some signing picture time, break time. He looked me dead in the eyes and was like, Elizabeth, your bio in the bio book was amazing. Yeah, how's Cafe Unimatic doing? And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And he's the kind of person that if he makes you write a bio and is going to publish a book, he's going to read them all, right? Mm -hmm. And And then he proceeded to, he was talking about branding and he was up on stage and right after this break time, and he was up on stage and he was like, I don't know if any of you like coffee. I don't even drink coffee, but Elizabeth over there, you got to find her because the way she talks about coffee makes me want to drink it. That's branding. And I sat there and I was like, I, I'm speechless. <laughs> um, and I was getting text messages from around from like friends that were there and they were like, are you kidding? Did he just do that? And 
And like I said, this is a weird story, but I went on to him afterward and I was like, can I take you to tea? Mm-hmm. And we just started, we started meeting a couple times a year. And I, to be honest, the thing that I think has always bugged me is that most of my mentors have been men. But I think that's also because of my, I had this really strong dad and my story is that, that everyone weirdly knows because of what I do is that I lost him early and that I'm passionate and then I'm going to put my all into something and that I'm here to create value for people. And I don't know, I feel like I've been really lucky in having people that really see me take me under their wings and be like, what do you need? I've got you. Um, I mean, I have another mentor who he was my speaking coach for my very first TED talk. And I mean, he, that was 10 years ago, nine years ago. Um, and we're still the closest. I mean, I've done brave conversations with his family. Like he came to Florida to meet my boyfriend, to just that, to see my life because he's like, I, I'm like your uncle now. Like you just get me. I just, I'm coming. And, and I think some of it is I never saw mentors or networking as who can help me get ahead. It was always, it was always just creating a relationship and getting to know them and them getting to know me and whether some of that had something to do with them being male or having a daughter or having a very young daughter and they saw that, wow, I hope I have a daughter who, you know, God for something happens to me, feels that way, you know, and wants to keep me alive in this in the same weird sense that I did. Um, and yeah, I mean, mentors have been, I think they're the most important thing because they can give you that gut check. They don't tell you what you want to hear. They tell you what you need to hear. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Seth constantly challenges me. Every time I get on the phone with him, he will, I mean, I have a, a note on my whiteboard that says, are you stalling? And he's like, write this note. I have one on my, like on my whiteboard too. He's like, just write, are you stalling? Love Seth. Because I'll hold myself back. And mentors are the type of people that, A, they can say hello and you can say hello back and they can be like, what's going on? And talk you out of whatever is happening for you. But they can also identify, no, you're just getting in your own way. Stop. And it just, yeah, the mentors have been everything. They've been huge. Yeah. But you knew that. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, it sounds like the relationships kind of just happen kind of naturally or organically. And you really, I guess, probably have to put yourself out there and then just see what works, right? It sounds like, you know. I mean, I think there was also... I, I never went out looking for a mentor, but I think I I think there have been times when I realized I need this kind of person in my life. And for example, like my mom and my dad were very different people. And my dad would, you know, was the crazy entrepreneur and he would cheer for me and everything was, let's take it from nothing to global company. What's the idea for this? And it was always yes. My mom is the opposite and she can see every detail. Like he was the visionary and she could see every detail. And she'd be like, oh, but you forgot about this. Oh, but come back to reality because of this. And so they were a great team. But when I only had one, I was like, wait, I'm overweight. I need I need someone to tip the scale back to neutral. And um, after, 
so a year and a half after losing my dad, my mom's house was hit by Hurricane Sandy and we ended up living with neighbors for quite a while while our house was getting redone because we couldn't live in it. And the wild thing is that Laura Von Frolio, with our, our neighbor's name, she was this firecracker of a human. She was a nurse, but she was an entrepreneur and she was everything I needed at the time. And I, I had literally said to myself, I need someone like my dad. I need someone to kick me in the butt. I need someone to like light that fire and like tell me that I can and see the possibility, not the potential problems. Mm-hmm. And she was everything. And I, I didn't go finding her. I would never have, I, I don't, I wouldn't have found her if she was a nurse, if she had nothing to do with what I did. Um, so I just, I, I believe that when you're open enough and you can see, hmm, how do I say this? Take no one for granted because people can teach you things and you don't even, you think they have nothing to do with you. And people in the craziest of places will perhaps become a mentor or teach you something or remind you of something that you really needed to know or take you in a direction that you never would have gone before. So it's, some of it is just being cracked open enough that, yeah, that, that you're open to, I don't want to say being led, but that you're open to ideas and your journey taking a hard left if it maybe needs to. Yeah, yeah no, very well said. It kind of in a way reminds me because recently I've been just listening to a lot of audiobooks with the libraries mm-hmm. app. And sometimes a lot of books are not available, so I can just have whatever available. And so I would listen to these books that I normally wouldn't probably picked, but then I find myself learning so much that's very helpful, but I wouldn't otherwise probably learned. I kind of want to maybe touch something you mentioned uh, during these mentorship relationships. The first person, I think Seth is his name. He's very good in marketing. And then you mentioned uh, your second coach who coached you through your first TED talk. And I feel like marketing is really, really important for any entrepreneur. So can you talk about how you mastered skills related to marketing? I'm not sure I'm a master of anything related. Um, I think for both brave conversations, I mean, they're two totally different things. It's a coffee company that is direct to consumer and it has a story that reminds you like for the Unimatic, you want to keep, my goal was to keep families together around the table and give them this piece of history that inspired them to just have one more conversation, tell one more story, stay there together for just 10 more minutes. Um, and, and then brave was, okay, now that you're around the table, how do we have better conversations? Um, you know, the world is so polarized right now where we find ourselves often on two very different sides. And for example, our very first brave conversation was 9-11 survivors, first responders, the Muslim community and students. And so brave was essentially created to bring together viewpoints that are very, very different and find the underlying humanness in it. And essentially brave is a a framework to help you listen learn to listen better and when we when i think about marketing the weird part i think is that my gut instincts were right but sometimes when i would ask for help people would tell me what best practices were and sometimes i'd listen and and you think you're being stupid if you don't listen to someone who knows this way better than you and, and I think I would veer, sometimes I would watch myself veering off to a, you know, taking a right when 
I really knew what I wanted to get across and people kept trying to put me in the box of coffee company. Well, then you must have a coffee shop or you must be a roaster and trying to sell to grocery stores, get, you know, get distribution at Whole Foods. And then I got distribution at Whole Foods and I was like, I don't want distribution at Whole Foods. I want to know the humans and the families that are drinking our coffee. I want to know their names. Clearly, I still write notes to every single person that adopts a Unimatic. So I think some of it for me for marketing was anything I've started was so, I'll say emotional, but so tied to my values and the values that I want to put into the world and, and really inspire in the world. For me, it's just really staying true to who do you want to be? What do you want to give? And what do you want to leave behind? And I mean, those were our three questions from Legacy Out Loud that has now turned into great conversations. But it's, there was always something about, I I mean, for example, the marketing for our coffee packaging. It's a woman's face. They were all inspired by different, they all have um, different archetypes of different kinds of confident women, different archetypes of ones the creative, ones the explorer, ones the pioneer, ones the visionary, or no, sorry, the optimist. Um, and from the tasting notes, we derived a persona. And then, you know, every time, every detail has a reason. And every time you turn the bag over when you're making your coffee in the morning, you can read who, who she is, right? And I needed that when I was going through grief. I needed to be reminded of who I was and who I wanted to be and keep taking steps forward toward it. So I figured, why not? It's, it was, the intention was kind of for it to be half fortune cookie that you could you know remind yourself of something inspiring but also half greeting card that if you wanted to give this coffee to someone you can say she reminds me of you and it becomes this much more meaningful much more meaningful exchange um and yeah i mean i i think i think for me marketing was just a very values-based it's always been a very values-based i'll say decision um because there's, there are a thousand people that want to tell you all kinds of different things and try them, but keep tapped into your gut because if you're starting this and you have a really deep purpose and why you're starting this, there's a nugget in there that you need to make sure is encapsulated in how you're putting it out into the world because it's an extension of you in a way, right? I think I totally agree with what you were saying about staying true to yourself because if everybody just follows a formula I mean it's not going to work right because then people just see the same things over and over again so I really agree and appreciate your insight on that how do you balance the fact that you want to stay true to your values and listen to your gut versus the expert opinions I mean I think some of it is finding a team of people that they're you know, obviously for this, they'd be creatives, but they're people that aren't just pushing what they do and their framework and th what they do on you. They really want to deeply listen to, you just have to find a good fit, right? I think, mm -hmm. I think at the end of the day, that's probably the most succinct way to put it. Some people just want to do the thing they do really well and they want to show you how great they are, but they actually didn't hear anything you said. And granted, I'm, I also realize I'm biased. I'm trained in listening well so I can tell when people are kind of just in their sales pitch and they didn't hear a thing I said and I you know I just next <laughs> um so I think that's also part of it I mean if you think about what's happening right now I mean AI is positioned to take over a lot of this stuff mm -hmm. but when I talk to you know friends in the field I think some of it 
is also true that when you have a gut instinct, when you have, when you're putting emotion into something, that's something that AI can't take. There are certain human elements to things that I think, sure, maybe some of the easy stuff can be automated. But if, if you're just looking for any design to get anything out in the world, yeah, they're probably all going to look the same at some point. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you're really infusing yourself or your values or your passion or some emotion into whatever thing you create, I think, I think that's what's going to continue to set things apart. Even if machines are making everything right. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of, I guess, how do you balance expert opinions with your gut? Other than finding the right fit, I think it's also knowing when you, for example, I wanted to keep the Unimatic logo way beyond its useful life. It was the one my dad used, but it wasn't working on anything. And I said, no, 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 I want to keep it. I want to keep it until I had someone that I trusted enough that said, you really need you need to decide what you want to keep and what you want to let go of. And if you're going to up level this or make it your own in a way, some stuff you can keep, some you you can't. If you want to make it your own, you don't have to. No one's forcing you to. And it was just, it, it was a moment of reflection in, okay, what are the things, like I do need to take their advice in my own way. So I need to, I just needed to kind of take a step back and, figure out the pieces that made sense for me and the, and how do I take their advice, but not just blindly follow. Right. No, that makes total sense. Over time, how did you stay motivated and focused? Cause I'm sure there were a lot of tough times and obstacles and challenges. How did you just say, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to keep doing it despite of all these challenges. This might be a weird answer. I never questioned it the harder life became, the more excited I was to do this because I was so passionate about it. And when I say this, I I mean both. I mean, Cafe Unimatic got me through the beginning. And then when I finally hit the nail on the head and realized we have conversations over coffee, like that's what I want to be able to use coffee to help people be better leaders of companies, of teams, of families, of communities, of movements. Um, and I don't know, I think I, I think I worked really, really, really hard on figuring out my unique purpose and, and it's just like that fire has never gone out and I've never questioned it. And there have been some really, really hard things. And I mean, there were times when I was only working on my business at two o'clock in the morning because that's the only time I had. And but it, it was never a question of, well, I'll just put it to the side. It was what drove me. So yeah, I, maybe that's, maybe that's an odd answer, but I feel like I spent a lot of time and effort getting really clear. And then that part, the staying focused or staying motivated was, became really easy. I heard about entrepreneurship is not trained is born. Basically somebody is born with the entrepreneur uh, spirit and then they will become an entrepreneur or they have a high chance of becoming an entrepreneur. Do you buy that or what's your take on that? A hundred percent. I, well, I don't like to say that anything is born that you can't, I mean, 
I'm going to be geeky for a second, but neuroplasticity essentially means that you can change your brain. You can become or believe anything that you want. So and my dad would always say what the mind can conceive, the mind can achieve. And so I, I believe that. So if I believe if you want, if you have a deep desire to be an entrepreneur, it doesn't matter if it's in your family or not. If you're called to it, you're called to it. There are many people that are just not called to it. And that is fine. And that is great. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if it's genetic. I, don't, I, I think genetic is a cop out. I think it's if you listen in and that's what drives you, that's what pulls you. I mean, if you're able to surround yourself with even maybe not people that know it, but even just people that remind you that you can. And if, yeah, it'll be hard work, but if that's what you want, you have to do it because if not, you'll regret it. So go try it. Go ahead. I got your back. I'm here. Go do it. Did you fail? Did you skin your knee? Great. Get up. Let's bandage you up and send you back or just accept you and support you and whatever you decide to do next. So I, I, I do, I think it's, I think it's a calling to a degree and maybe it hits people at different times. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think I always knew it, but I think I always thought it in the beginning because my dad and I talked about it. And I think I then realized there was a part of me that was expecting to do that because of him, but then I hadn't found anything I liked. So I questioned it and nothing drove me. And then once I found the thing, there was no stopping me. So I, I, I agree. I do. I think it's, I think it's in you in some way and to what degree you allow yourself to let it awaken is maybe what makes all the difference. Yeah, no, that's very well said. Maybe let's uh, turn to brave. Can you talk about how that got started and what was the aha moment for you to create that? Yeah, I, um, so it started as an education company for, to build confidence in young women because there was a confidence gap and young women were not becoming entrepreneurs as readily as young men, but they were great at it. And it started out as asking these really deep, hard questions and helping them find their purpose and their passion and essentially their resilience. And a lot of it is based in positive psychology and brain science. And what I realized was anyone can ask these questions. What we were doing so differently was we created a very structured space. And that was the reason why we got the real answers. We got the truth. We were, I mean, young women were telling me things they never said out loud before. And there was a reason for that. Um, and I think once I realized, wait a minute, it, I was also in different stages of education around neuroscience, the brain, stress, Um, so also interesting, my dad, um, had high blood pressure, aortic aneurysms, heart, heart, heart attacks, my entire childhood. So there was, I mean, a pretty long time where maybe once a week, my mom would take my dad's blood pressure. I swear there's a a reason for this story. Um, my dad, my mom would take my dad's blood pressure. It'd be really high. They'd call me over and I'd have a conversation with my dad and like magic, his blood pressure would go down. And I mean, the running joke was that I was a unicorn and then I was magic and I loved that as a kid. So yes, great, call, call me magic. And I realized that there was something to what I was doing 
when I became a teenager because it got way harder to get a good result because I had emotions that I couldn't really contain all the time. And after losing him, I became obsessed with finding or writing the science behind what I did with him because everything I studied was here's how to self-regulate. Here's how to regulate your own nervous system. You know, and you've heard of these. It's meditation, visualization, deep breaths, you know, all of the wonderful things that we, you know, mindfulness. Um, but it was always self-regulation. And sometimes that's really hard. <laughs> but I knew that there was something to the fact that I made his blood pressure go down. I could do it. And I knew that it was through conversation. It was through a very specific way that I listened to him. And because there were times when I didn't do it well, and his blood pressure didn't go down. And that was really, really scary. And so I actually partnered with Nokia Bell Labs out of New Jersey and was about to start research around, I'm going to have this certain kind of conversation with you. I'm going to listen in this very certain way, which essentially is the brave framework. And I'm going to prove to you that I, that if we have a certain kind of conversation, I can regulate your nervous system from the outside. And finally, I found a teeny tiny little piece of research a, a theory that then was not very popular. It's a bit more popular now. So what I was doing was called co-regulation. And so self-regulation, you take deep breaths, you calm yourself. Co-regulation is you can regulate with another person, which is how we learn to regulate our nervous system as kids. We learn through our moms, we learn through our primary caregivers. Um, and what I was doing essentially had science around it and it already existed. I didn't have to do the research, which was amazing because I am not someone who really knew that piece of science and turned it into, I mean, the framework existed, but it was a very odd, it was like, I knew exactly what the steps were and I knew there was science behind what I did, but I didn't know what it was. And almost all at once, I was like, this comes from this, this comes from this and researched it and, and the brave framework was born. And so it's, it's almost like I mapped out what I did and then checked myself in a sense. Um, and then found the science behind each piece of it and started using it and started testing it and started using it within companies. Um, I work with Simon Sinek now in his leadership development organization. And so we train leaders all the time to use brave with their teams for their teams. How do you have those hard conversations about anything? I mean, they're, they're the conversations that we tend to shy away from. And when we avoid conversations, we don't, we're not, we don't even have access to the parts of our brains that we need to do our best work. And so from a technical perspective, when you're under stress, the parts of your brain that are in charge of problem solving, connection and creativity go offline. So if you're a leader and your team is really stressed out, what do you do? Tell them to go take some deep breaths. That's not going to work. <laughs> I mean, maybe, but you can't force someone to do that. Right? So as a leader, having this skill of being able to, I call it, well, I'll explain in a second, but having the skill of being able to identify that something's happening for someone, and that they need you to help them regulate a bit is kind of like having a superpower in the office. Um, 
we were told that communication is very linear. Like I have this message I want to say, I, I want to share. I choose the words to use. I choose how to say it. And then it'll be successful, right? So, you know, they say it's not about what you say, it's how you say it. Well, that's actually not true. It's not about what is said or how it's said. It's about what is heard. And if you, if your internal noise is really, really loud, you can't hear what's actually happening. You hear your fear, right? You hear, whether it's personal or professional, you hear the thing you're afraid of and you can create that from nothing even. So we're training leaders how to identify their own internal noise. And then once they get good at that, they can then start to identify their team's internal noise and help them identify it and also quiet it so they can actually do their best work. That's awesome. Very interesting. Do you just kind of coach the, let's say, leaders in the business and then they can have that ability to do something similar when their team members encounter stressful situations and so forth? Wow. Yeah. So we we have programs that they can look, it can look like a lot of different things. I mean, we actually have a six-week course for individuals as well if, you know, they're not in a place that their company can take something like that on. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, typically we're inside of a company with leaders for six months or so or more um and we're we're meeting we're going really deep on we're learning how to do this um and these leaders come out the other side able to motivate people you know how sometimes performance conversations just get really really challenging and people aren't able to say i mean they focus on you're not meeting your numbers and let's be real if someone's not meeting the numbers they know they're not meeting their numbers but we were never taught how to really have a conversation that speaks to what the other person's brain is needing to thrive. And so we don't do it. We, we do, we have the best of intentions. I think this is the best part. It helps leaders who have the best of intentions actually do things that are useful because even when we have the best of intentions, a lot of the things that we do innately are just wrong, but we were never taught how to do this. I mean, you're promoted because you're good at your day job. Right? And your day job might be spreadsheets, right? And just because you're good at your day job, then you're given a team of people to impart your knowledge, but also to motivate. And if you don't know the science of people and how people work, you're not being set up to succeed. And companies are now realizing, I think, that they really haven't given their leaders the tools to manage humans, humans who are multifaceted and diverse and neurodiverse. And it's the pandemic made it a lot easier to say we don't know how to listen and we need to learn because we can't actually get the best out of our people if we don't know how to do that. And I think we thought we could fake it for a while, but unluckily, unluckily, the pandemic brought it to the surface so that we now really realize, oh, humans are challenging and we need to get better at it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the part about motivating people is difficult is really true. It sounds like a wonderful course and program that you, you're offering. Where can we find out about that information? Is it on your website or? Yeah, yeah yes. I mean, if you go to braveconversations.com, okay. we're going to redo our website. So excuse the position that it's in now. It's fine. Um, but we're, we're going through an entire rebranding at the moment. So it will look beautiful in <laughs> a couple months. Um, okay. But right now, it's yes, it's there. It's braveconversations.com and reach out. Everything is something that I constantly say is, it's not about you. Listening is not about you. And we so often listen 
to things to create our response and our defense. We listen to things sort of selfishly, whereas when we're able to listen to things and really just be listening to understand the other person, not make it personal for us, a whole new world opens up. And so anytime anyone says, what do your programs look like? We have we have structure to them and there are very specific ways that it works best. And what we're doing is creating psychological safety within an organization, which is the number one thing that builds high performing teams. And there are a lot of nuances to how to do it, but but there it's always based around the specific team, what they need, what they're seeing, what they're not seeing. So everything's very customized. The point in all of that is our, our programs, the way we run things is not about us. It's about the companies and the teams and the leaders that are going to take part. So there's no, you know, here's what it always looks like. It's all, it always looks a little bit different, but. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. So what's kind of the future for Brave? Sounds like you might have done maybe individual coaching, maybe you did broader speeches and now you're doing this course. What's the future for Brave? Yeah, um, I mean, the future really is, there's a book in the works. There's, I mean, I already speak a ton. Um, training leaders in a, in a more intimate way to say like, you know, give us your top 10 leaders. We'll give them support for six months and they'll come out the other side. And if these are the people that can really influence your business, you'll be really set up in a good spot. So it's it's finding the right clients who are ready for this. It's finding, I mean, we also do a six-week course that's live that anyone can take. I mean, it, you, know, you don't have to be within a company to take it. Um, we're also launching um, a, a course that's not live, that the, the feedback and the questions are live, but you can take it at your own pace. So it's asynchronous and it'll just be an online course that you can engage with, you know, however, and in whatever time, you know, time frames you can. So you can, it can be snackable. It can be whatever you need it to be. So we're just, we're working on getting brave out there in as many ways as possible, because it's something that we hear, you know, we were on the brink of divorce and now we're not because we practice brave. Our company was at the brink of losing it all because our people kept leaving. We kept losing our highest performers and now we're not, now we're in a better spot. So we, we keep hearing how many people need it. Um, we're also working with the NYPD as well to, we're working with their explorers program. Um, and it's, it's evolving over time, but we are really trying to just teach people how to hear each other and hear when someone's needing something and be able to respond in a way that is more skillful in terms of neurologically than we, you know, than we're ever really trained to do. So we're just trying to cast our net and yeah, and impact as many humans as possible. Yeah. That sounds great. That sounds wonderful. I'll definitely check it out. Throughout both of your businesses, I just hear a lot of these amazing things that you did, like you went on TED Talk and you partner with, um, did you say Nokia Bell Labs for Braze? Yes. And then yeah. you're now part of uh, Simon Sinek's leadership mm -hmm. program. How are you able to build all these relationships to be able to kind of have these partnerships going? That's a great question. I mean, some of it is because my my training and what I'm obsessed with learning about is how to build better relationships and how to listen. And I mean, I think I've always, I mean, if you take the 
values and action test, one of my top five values, I think number two was originality. And I, I've always, I've always really taken pride in creating things and putting things together that are new or different. And sometimes that means I'm way too early. I mean, I created something for women in 2013. Me too didn't happen until 2017. I was way, everyone told me, no one cares about this. No one cares. I wanted to build an Amazon for women made products. And I got told by one of the biggest VCs in, in New York that nobody would care. And I listened. That was dumb. Um, I mean, I was talking about listening in 2017, 18, and nobody wanted to hear it until the pandemic and George Floyd's murder, right? Nobody wanted to hear about listening then. It was a snooze. Um, so I think it's just, I don't know, I think having the guts to approach people and tell them what I'm interested in and I don't know I, whether it's offering ways to partner. I don't even, I don't even remember to be honest. It's just genuinely wanting to know them and probably asking really hard questions. I honestly, I think some of it was living in New York city too. I mean, people come through New York city just all the time. So I think I was in that playground of opportunity. And a, a friend of mine says that New York is a participatory sport. And you only get out of it what you put into it. So if you live there and never leave your house, I, I don't know, I can't help you. But there's something about going to things, meeting people, meeting someone who introduces you to someone else. I, it's a really fertile ground for just learning and finding your place. And I, I think that was probably a really huge opportunity, I guess, for me. I mean, and not to say you can't, I mean, now everything's virtual. So I don't presume you need to be anywhere now. Um, but back then you kind of needed to like go to things in person and see, and see people in person. Um, so I, I think it's just, like I said in the beginning, getting really clear on your purpose and then just being a freight train and going full steam ahead. And when people cross your path, just sharing your enthusiasm with them. I mean, the, what the manager at Whole Foods that said that actually read my email and took a meeting with me he was like, I get thousands of emails. To, to be honest, I don't even know why I, why I'm meeting with you, but your enthusiasm was just second to none. So, come on in. <laughs> and it, so, some of it I think is just finding your thing and running full speed ahead. And you'll know when you have it. And I knew when I didn't have it yet, but when I did, yeah, it just started to be sort of an all-out sprint. And I guess people are like, hmm, she must have found something because. She, she's acting different than other people. <laughs> I saw your TED talk and I was very, very amazed by that. But then, you know, I guess you've gone on to do many even greater things. If you ask Stephen, I was super shy in grade school. So for those of you watching, I've known her husband since I was maybe eight years old, <laughs> around there. Um, and I was super shy. So I think anyone that knew me back then is like, where did this kid come from? <laughs> are you? Um, so yeah, but I, but I all credit goes to when you find something you're passionate about, anything becomes easier. Talking about it becomes easy. Yeah. Great. That's very inspiring. All right. So do you have a book that you recommend either for entrepreneurship or self-improvement that helped you? 
I have so many. <laughs> um, hmm. I'm thinking of your audience and I'm thinking of a lot of the books that I read are very clinical and sciencey. So those are probably not the right ones. Um, a book that I feel pretty blessed to have essentially been forced to read in college because it was part of a class is called The Artist's Way. And it's by someone named Julia Cameron. And it was maybe one of the first self-development books out there. Um, it's sold bazillions of copies, but it helps you find your inner artist. And artist doesn't mean you have to be a painter. Artist means who you want to be and the thing you want to put into the world. And it helped. I mean, it's essentially like a 12 week program that we did in a class when I was 18 years old. And there's one quote that always stayed with me and it, it went into everything from like Carl Jung and psychology to figuring out who you are and what you want to put into the world and how to start taking steps to do it. But it, a quote that stayed with me was leap and the net will appear. Mm. And I, and I mean, it was on a post-it on my, on my computer for as long as I can remember. And I think that started me on the process of, all right, I just need to jump and then it will appear. I just have to trust that if this is what's meant to be, then I'll be supported in it. And if not, I'll take a hard left and I'll figure it out. Like, I just, I know that I'll figure it out. Um, so that's one. Anything by Renee Brown is great just because it gets you in touch with vulnerability to a sense. Um, I have to say start with why because your purpose is finding that is second to none because once you find that you can do almost and get through almost anything. Um, I'd also say anything by Joe Dispenza, just because it's another reminder of how powerful you and your mind is, because there's something about us that most often our biggest challenge is not external. Although we'll point to all the external things. Our biggest challenge is ourselves. It's our own mind. It's our own self doubt, our own whatever. Um, but I think he does a really good job in many books. Um, I forget the name of the one that I'm thinking of. Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. Um, he does a really good job of reminding you that it it's an inside job. Success is an inside job. So start there. Um, yeah, I think those would be, I could go on. I have so many. <laughs> no, those are great. Those are great. Ask for one and I got so many more. So thank you. Great. So the last question for you is where can people find more about you? Besides, I think you mentioned um, braveconversation.com. Braveconversation.com, um, cafeunimatic.com. So cafe, C-A-F-F-E, and then unimatic is U-N-I-M-A-T-I-C. So .com, that's also, that's my Instagram. Um, that's all of my social that's probably the easiest way. Just, I mean, Cafe Unimatics Instagram is me. It's not just the company. It's my journey in the company. Um, so that's probably the easiest way. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much, Liz, for coming on the show. It's really, really inspiring. And I'm so happy that you uh, joined. <laughs> thank you for having me. It's been an honor.